0: You know, I was just telling the the praise team, the first service, I'm so thankful for them because, you know, as you watch people come in, and some people are just, they're ready right off the bat. I mean, they're pushing the people beside them, and they're, I think, pushing the praise team to come on more, and, uh, you know, and others of us, it takes a minute, and I think that we didn't walk in with any less cares or concerns than anybody else, but it takes us a minute, and the, you know, praise team just gets us motivated right there with god and i i praise the lord for that so so uh man so much coming up i mean i think this is the perfect passage for the perfect follow-up to easter sunday that we're going to look at here in romans chapter five and you know beyond that we've got all uh, you know already we're having to talk about our all church retreat our family camp and getting signed up for that and this this is ninth year that i've been here and have made the commitment that our kids, your kids, can go free. So the kids go free. Now, they cost just as much as anybody else, any of the adults. And I don't see how we do it because because we are giving you four days, three nights, nine meals, and especially the nine meals because I've seen how some of you eat. I mean, I've watched you. Four days, three nights, nine meals for $160 right now for through the month of May through, uh, until mid-May. Um, $160, I, I, you know, I don't know how we do it. And, and I know, I, I, actually I know how we do it. We go in the hole even when you end up paying the $200 amount because you're late in signing up. And, uh, but it's worth it to me. I'd rather have you there than have your money. And also the kids go free. I want them there with us. And so I thank you for tithing. And thank you also, those of you that go above that, and our focus fund is going to be used for that now, through all church retreat time, our focus fund will be so that you can personally participate in paying the way for some of our kids to go i got a harvest teams report this week, and so we 've got something over a hundred people and something just under a dozen teams right now harvest teams. And uh, out of the eight that have reported in, they, they are praying for 179 lost people. So these are our small group evangelistic uh, groups that get together uh, now about once a month. And they're praying for 179 people they know that they want to just keep the conversation going until God opens the door to give them the gospel. We've had three people they've prayed for have come to know Christ. I know someone gave me the report. This last week, that last Sunday on Easter, someone came whom they had been praying for in their harvest team and trusted Jesus last Sunday. So praise the Lord! That's what it's all about. And so uh, thank you for those. Uh, you know, go ahead and sign up, get involved in one, even if you haven't 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 taken part. I want you to turn to Romans chapter five. And you know, when you think about Colorado, you kind of think about the majesty of the Rocky Mountains and. Probably one of the most popular recreational sports in that state is actually mountain climbing. And a lot of mountain climbers who do that type of thing, um, they want to scale all 50 or more 14,000 foot peaks in the state of Colorado. The book of Romans is kind of like the state of Colorado in that respect. It has more mountain peaks than any other book of your Bible. It is probably the most quoted book of the Bible, and it has these majestic 14,000-foot peaks. And so now chapter 5, which we're starting on right now, chapter 5 is like the summit county of the book of Romans, But if you're not yet feeling me like I need you to, then let me go ahead and give you an experiential exploration of Romans scriptural summits. Can I just show you at least three places of textual topography which I think kind of rise above all the others in magnitude of majesty and blessing. And I'm just going to list them right now because we will be examining them over the next couple of studies together as we go through truth for our end times, alternating Romans with the book of Revelation. But number one, Romans 5 verses 1 to 2, God's acceptance of us... Number two, Romans 5, 8, God's affection for us. And number three, verses 17 to 20, God's abundance to us. I mean, do you ever stop and think where you might be if God had not intersected your life, opened your eyes, and made sure you had a clear gospel and the good news and the offer of salvation that God was giving you? And I don't know about you, but I mean, when I, when I was born, we were living in Northeast. I would have totally self-destructed by now. But instead, what I have, if you'll look here in chapter 5, instead, what I've got, that you can have too, I have much more than, verse 5, and then much more over that, verse 9, and then much more, verse 15, and then much more, verse 17. And after all of that, I've still got another much more in verse 20. So my thesis today is really easy. In Christ, we have so much more. So can I just brag on Jesus one Sunday? I mean, it's a Sunday after Easter. I think we ought to just brag on Jesus today. Can I just take the magnificent magnitude, even of verse 1, and just let it sink in? Look at verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. And I want to fill in the blanks on some important words for you today because the word justification appears over 30 times just in the book of Romans. Chapters 2 to 5 are devoted almost exclusively to the topic of justification with God by faith. So, so this is not a textbook definition, but this is my sidewalk definition of the term. Let me hit you with it. Justification is the act of a holy God, which brings unholy humans into right relationship and acceptance with him forever. It is a legal term coming from the Greek word for righteous, and it means to pass a verdict... And declare someone righteous. And this is the means whereby God is enabled to do that for us. It is by adding to or imputing to us Christ's own righteousness. And then he does this by grace through our faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. So now that leads us to ask some important questions because these are mountaintop truths and the air gets very rare up here trying to scale such a spiritual summit. So, you know, first off, how can this even justly happen? How can the perfectly holy, righteous God bring wicked, sinful, rebellious people into a right relationship with himself without violating his own holiness? And you want to know the simple and yet incomprehensible answer it is by becoming unholy himself. Now I know you don't believe me, so let me read it to you. If you look at Second Corinthians five, they're on the back of your handout sheet, Second Corinthians 5:21. "For God hath made him to be sin for us, Christ, who is also God, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him." Now, you may not believe that is how because maybe you can't understand that, that that is how, and yet this is exactly how we are told that God is able to do it. So I know that you're going to listen carefully today to God's words because they are so very important. So then second, on the other hand, this is letter B, how can an impeccable God, that means sinless and unsinnable God, Condescend to save humans without being condemned himself. And the answer is by way of substitution. Because Christ's death on the cross was a substitutionary atonement. See, look, first John chapter four, verse ten. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be provided Christ's holiness, we needed imputation. For a holy God to be able to give it, He needed propitiation. And so now, you you know, some Sundays you actually learn something in church, even if you don't go to Sunday school. And, and this is kind of an important mountain peak for you to scale today, because we are justified. We're brought, brought in a right relationship with God by looking to Jesus and trusting his finished work on the cross and nothing else. So God declares you righteous, solely on the merits of Christ's righteousness. But he will not force that automatically onto anybody. And so you have to believe and you have to personally receive that free grace by faith. But once you do that, then you are living the extraordinary life. So what are you living right now? Are you living a hollow life? Are you living a shallow life? Are you living an empty life? Maybe you're living a dead life. Well, you were created by God to enjoy fellowship and companionship in serving Him for eternity. But now what have you done? Are you saved yet? I mean, I wish I'd just get a t-shirt. Saved yet? You know, saved yet? We are the only creatures in the universe made in the image of God, built with the capacity to worship and glorify Him by knowing Him, but that is an extraordinary life. You will not live without getting saved. So let me take this first paragraph and let me show you the benefits of living an extraordinary life. Anybody want to hear this? Just give me the hippie peace sign. Just shake the hippie peace sign at me. Okay, I'll even you take paralysis of consent because maybe you have not had your CBD oil yet this morning. Oh, Lord. So first off, notice, if you will, the justified person, and this is number one, has peace with God. Verse one, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not the peace of God. I mean, the peace of God that passes all understanding is talked about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and that is kind of a subjective internal sense of tranquility that God can give you when you need it. It is peace from Him, peace of God. But the extraordinary life has a peace with God, which is an external, objective reality that cannot be changed. And a person can only know peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is a mountain that is worthy of grace for this reason. If you don't have peace with God, you are at war with God. And if you are at war with God, that makes you his enemy. And you remain God's enemy. If you remain God's enemy till you die, then you go with the devil and his angels. You don't go to heaven. You say, well, and I didn't sign up for that battle much less that army so how is it that i'm you know on the wrong side well adam signed you up and we are all born with that propensity to sin that separates us from god but god loves us so much that this is our first point for study god himself has made a way for you to change sides in his war against sin and satan now, you can try your own way to have a relationship with him. You can fashion a plan that fits your personality, your lifestyle, your lusts, uh, your quirks. I mean, whatever way you decide, uh, you are still on the wrong side. Why, why does it have to be that way? Because it was very costly for the Father to make a way for you to have peace with him. Look at John chapter 3 on your handout, just on the back. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the impossible price for the insurmountable situation that, that, that you live in now. And that price was paid so that you can now live an extraordinary life. So you cannot choose your own spirituality by con- concocting your own system of beliefs and be successful at being saved. You can't do it, And yet the prevailing belief in our society is that all religions worship the same God. I mean, a Barna survey discovered that two out of three adults in America believe that the choice of one religious faith over another is irrelevant. Why? Because they think that all religions teach the same basic lessons. Well, there ain't no other religion out there teaching you this. None of them teach you the gospel. Yeah, but a lot of people believe if there is a heaven, all denominations are simply on different roads to get to the same destination. Well, this mountain peak in Romans kind of crushes that false idea. And some people have a hard time reconciling the fact that people who do not trust Jesus will spend a lost eternity in hell. So they come up with their own belief system, like they can make the rules like they know all of the factors involved, like they understand everything that was done and not done and why we're in the situation they're in. And and so they make up a system based on their limited view of what they think is fairness. Well, why not just take this answer in Romans 1, I wonder? Uh, Why not just accept the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, I wonder? Why make God into someone he is not When you can actually receive him for the sacrificial, loving provider of grace that he is. Every person outside of Christ has God for their enemy because they are in the wrong family by birth, by their first birth, their physical birth. But a person at peace with God by being born again... Through faith in what Jesus has done for them, they have a new birth. They are born again, and then for that saved, justified person, this is number two, they have security and perseverance by grace. Look at verse two. By whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. So by faith, you've obtained admission, but you not only have You not only have acceptance with God, you have access anytime you need it. And when you scale this height by faith, you are standing, Paul says, in grace. And that word stand means secure and immovable in grace. Okay, wait, this is our second point for study. Since it is God's grace that saves you, it is an immovable grace that keeps you. I mean, praise the Lord for that. If I had to keep my own salvation that I got in Christ, I would have lost it a long time ago. But you can't lose your salvation. Now, you do need to rightly divide your Bible because some saints in some dispensations could, but not, not us in the age of grace, the, the church age. We can't. Because once you get born again, you can't be unborn. Hello, somebody. So, so that leads us to two more important questions. First letter A, what about the believer who sins? Well, that sin is already covered by the blood because to get saved, God declared you righteous. Not based on your righteousness, but based on your trust. And that was based on Christ's merits and and God's grace. And so sin is already forgiven because it is paid for on the cross. Well, but second letter B, doesn't that encourage believers to sin? And you know we saw back in chapter 3 verse 8 that some people were slanderously reporting and even swearing to God that that is exactly what Paul was teaching. And Paul said of those people he replied to that saying, you know what their damnation is just? So what's the truth? Galatians 5:13. For brethren you've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Romans eight four that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans thirteen fourteen, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof, because when you get saved, you are enabled by the Spirit of God to live an extraordinary life. And if you do not, you're not treated as a sinner. But you will be treated as a son. Watch. 1 First, First Corinthians 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That, or so that, we should not be condemned with the world. Hebrews twelve five and 6. You, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth so that you don't fall into that trap of, well, I'm, you know what, I can, I can go out and do what I want Friday night, Saturday night, and I'll just come to church Sunday and ask forgiveness for it. Now, Revelation three nineteen, Jesus himself says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I hope you're glad you don't have a sugar-coating preacher. You know what I'm saying? Sugar-coating preachers never get around to, <laughs> to the book of Romans. I, I don't know. But third, the same justified person, this is number three, moves from a self-centered life to a God-centered living. Verse two says that what we do is we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, are you only self-glory centered? Uh, what do you rejoice in? What is it that really makes you happy? If God is glorified with your life, is that enough for you? No matter what you're going through. Well, here's why you discover as you live an extraordinary life. First letter A, I put it this way. Put Christ in the center and you'll discover he will handle the things on the circumference for you. And second letter B, if you'll make Jesus a priority, then he will handle everything out on the periphery. And that is the divine advantage of living the God-centered extraordinary life. But this same justified person also, this number four, has a positive providential perspective on adversity, verse three. And not only so, not just rejoicing in the hope of God getting glory, but over and above that, we glory in tribulations also. Because if you're running away from tribulations, You're running away from the people that God wants you to reach. Shift your focus because God has overcome the world so that your tribulation can be responded to from a position of faith. Why? Why can that be that way? Why must we do that? Verse 3. Because we know that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience and hope and that's how we get that thing. And if you didn't get that down just now, you're going to be miserable all your life. Hope is confidence, expectation through trial. Experience is the trustworthiness you exemplify by passing through that tribulation. And patience shows confidence in the certainty of God's promise to you. So if there's no transformation of your character in this life, and there's no growth in your hope. See, you don't need counseling. You don't need psychotherapy. Now, I didn't say stop taking your medicine, okay? You take, keep taking your medicine. But if you are a believer, here's what you need. You need to stop acting like a lost person and start living the extraordinary life God has put inside of you. How can you do that? Because in the final analysis, this is number five, you are overflowing the love of God to others. you know what? Radical love is fine. We sing of God's radical love all the time. Okay, that's good for God. But for you, the reality is, you need to be overflowing that love from you. Watch, verse five. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What amazing advantages. Why are we not all doing this? I mean, this, this is your course today on the inner spiritual Christian life. Because all it takes to live this extraordinary life is the assistance of an ungrieved Holy Ghost. That's what verse 5 says. But how can that ever happen? Well, because of two other peaks which you scale. First letter A... A supernatural transfusion. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God. Commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are transfused with Christ's own righteousness. We are transfused with the divine nature now on the inside. We are transfused by being alive by Christ's life. And this transfusion. Is a translation. The Bible says we are translated from death unto life. We are translated from the power of darkness, it says. Watch the wording. This is out of the book of Colossians. Translated from the power of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. All Satan has is power. Christ has a kingdom. We are translated. From the fallen race of Adam to the new man we can be in Christ. All other religions talk about a God. Small g. But if you'll look at Colossians 1.27, you'll find out Christianity's talking about Christ in you. The hope of glory. Can you dig it? I mean, if, if that were not mountain peak enough, then letter B, it is also supernatural transformation. Verse 9. Much more than Because Christ himself is our life. I mean, we're not just saved from sin by the death of Jesus. That's verses 6 to 8. We are saved from our sinning by the life of Jesus, verses 9 to 11. And, And that means, and this is our third point for study, Jesus is not just the answer for your problem, sin. Jesus is the strength and sufficiency for your holiness. I mean, that is an extraordinary life uh, because the Christian life that begins with a supernatural transfusion of Christ's blood consists of and continues in a supernatural transformation of your personality. Because here's our final point for study. It is the resident life of Christ, his indwelling that gives you victory over the competing power and the compelling pull of sin. It is acknowledging his presence in prayer So that you have his power. You say, Alan, I don't know if I am experiencing what you're talking about today. Okay. And And yet you're a Christian. Okay. Well, then are you acknowledging his presence when you need it? Are you praying and acknowledging his presence so that you have his power? Are you living in total dependence on Jesus? Do you pray every day like he taught us? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are you watching and praying? Are you watching unto prayer? Are you just like Ephesians 6.18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I mean, these are the power points for the saints because this is living an extraordinary life. Jesus pours his power in you so that you can pour his life out of you. So now you no longer have to be a slave to your sins. So there's no such thing as uncontrollable temper. I mean, there's no such thing as inevitable addiction. Why? Because Christ is in you. And the Christ in you is able to control whenever he's yielded to. You know, for, for some of us, for some of you, your problem isn't your sin. You keep falling into your po- problem is your pride. Your problem is your pride that you will not yield in the moment to give Christ control. Sin is trying to control you, but Christ lives in you. Jesus is your resident boss. What does it mean having an extraordinary life? It means his righteousness has become your acceptance with God. It means his life has become your life to live by. It means the Holy Spirit becomes your strength for the journey. And it means he is made unto you wisdom and righteousness as you need it. I mean, my text almost breaks me today. How do you even preach all this? Jesus not only died for what you've done, he rose so that he can live in you again. The perfect post-Easter Sunday sermon. But what do you got to do to get there? Two things you must do existentially, and by that I mean moment by moment, in order to have the sufficiency of Christ for living an extraordinary life. Number one, abandon your fleshly resources. Recognize your inadequacy. Repent and admit your weakness. Stop trying in your own strength. And you know what? Then, even if the Holy Spirit, even if his power is not there immediately, it will be eventually. It will be eventually, even if not immediately. All we need to do is be persistent and impertinent and, and, and importinent in terms of praying and, and keep at it. Because there is no one who ever asked and kept asking who did not receive. There's no one who ever sought that did not find. There is no one who ever kept knocking that did not have it open to them. So as long as your faith is so courageous, it keeps asking, it keeps seeking, it keeps knocking. So what power you do not have immediately... You will receive eventually. And it works that way. And this is number two, because you must appropriate God's grace resources by faith. You need a desperate dependence on God. Do you have that? It means praying without ceasing, saying, Christ, I can't do this, but you can do this through me. And I believe it, and I know it, and I trust you. And let me just show you the process, and then I let you go. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. There in verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, abandonment. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, appropriation. Abandon and appropriate. Because you have to own the identification truth of you being crucified in Christ. Crucified with him so that he can live in you. And your life in the flesh right now, you know, it has to be lived by his faith, not even your own faith, according to Galatians 2.20, King James. And I understand no other translation translates it correctly that way. But it's not a matter of the Greek text being different. It's a matter of all the other translators thinking you can't understand it if they worded it correctly. I think that the translators don't understand what God was saying. You've got to be alive and living by his faith. What is said of him and said of you in the word of God, his faith, you got to be alive by his faith, his faithfulness to perform through you exactly what he's promised. Do you live crucified with Christ? I mean, this is truth for our end times because it is the only thing that will save you from making the pandemic protests and politics your priority. And this is living the extraordinary life. This is how God helps you. Let me talk about my last thing. I'll let you go. You know, how many times am i am going to say it's the last thing? Well, you know, Paul did the same thing in Philippians. I'm in good company. Finally, brethren, this is, this is a way to appropriate and apply this spiritual teaching. Number one, discipleship and following Jesus. Watch. I'm going to. Fellowship. The word fellowship is connected to three significant things because this is the way. First, discipleship. Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles. Doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship in discipleship. Number two, ministry for the king. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse four, fellowship in the ministering to the saints. And number three, suffering to bring God glory. Philippians 3.10. You know, tribulation is not God's goal for you. But tribulation is the only process with which you can be preparing for God's goal in this life. And God's goal is to develop hope in God's glory. And the more tribulating you do and the more tribulating you go through and you respond to scripturally, then the more intermediate glory you are changed to in this life And the more rejoicing hope is produced in the ultimate glory of God. Watch Philippians 3.10. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Going so far as to be made conformable unto his death. Because the only way to know resurrection power is through after death conformity. Is that the way you know Jesus? I mean, is this the experience you have with true spirituality? Do you know Jesus as your substitute, your Savior, your sufficiency, your sanctification, and your security? A lot of Christians live their Christian life in in the strength of their own flesh. I mean, it's really easy to do that and not even know it. Because a walk in the Spirit is necessarily such a spiritual thing. And it requires you to put down your pride and respond first to God on the inside and then let everybody see it. And in the good church I grew up in, no ever, nobody ever taught me that Christ was my life. And the essence of the Christian life is not activity for Christ, it is abiding in Christ. So I discovered the hard way, just like many of you are doing, that I cannot live the Christian life. I cannot do it unless I am in Him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's only one person who can live the Christian life, and that is Christ. Do you know him? The question you need to answer this morning is, is your faith in Jesus to save you? Is God's promise of eternal life the foundation of what you're doing? Is that faith so real that you know you've been redeemed? And are you willing to continue and be baptized and get discipled and let that faith transform your personality, your life, your eternity? All all you have to do if you want that right now is just pray. All you have to do is exercise your own will, submit your own will to God and just say, God, I want to be born again. I want to start becoming in Christ the person you created me to be by the gospel. I will never be ashamed of you, Jesus. Here, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand as we get ready to dismiss in prayer. But I want you to know, if you you prayed like that, or if you want to be baptized, if you prayed and therefore you want to be baptized next time we have baptisms, or if you want to join our church from another church, or if you want to be discipled, or if you have any other need for spiritual help or assistance, then as soon as I get done praying, come here to the front, let us know, or call, text, or email us. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you. We could have such a, a perfect place, not, not planned, nothing I envisioned, not, you know, not, nothing I had set up, but for us to be right here in this passage on this Sunday after this Easter when things are opening up and businesses are opening up and, and vaccines are coming. And Lord, uh, open us up. Make us opened up. Open our minds up to your word open our hearts up to those who are lost lord let us do more do better have more hope give you more glory than what we would have had we not had the pandemic hit a year ago lord make us more in christ let us make us more christ-like let us show more and more of him more than we would have had we not gone through the pain and the predicaments and the tribulation We've been through. Lord, let's, let's at least do the devil that much damage, get that much revenge against him. We're going to take everything he's done and all the people he has taken from us. We're simply going to get more because we can do that in Christ. Yes, that makes an extraordinary church out of our extraordinary lives, but we can do that in him. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.